Is it really true that over 39% of all websites now use WordPress? It's episode 402 of the Dan York Report, and I want to talk about that stat and other information coming out of the State of the Word 2020 event that happened this past Thursday. Now, to back up, the State of the Word is a address that Matt Mullenweg, co-founder of WordPress and CEO of Automatic, the company behind the hosted WordPress.com site and driving overall WordPress development, he's doing these addresses to the to the WordPress community. The tradition is that they happen in December at WordCamp USA. Matt gives a presentation about kind of what's the status of it, deployment statistics, um, new stuff, does a Q&A with the community, all that kind of thing. Now this year, of course, there was no physical gathering. There was, you know, everything's all online. And so on December 17th, he had this event that was um, State of the Word uh, 2020. And it was actually just, it was a very well done event overall. I just have to say it was really interesting. But the big thing that he started out talking about was how WordPress had grown to be 39% of the top 10 million websites. It's, so it's not all websites, but it's 10 million. That's a pretty large amount. And this is all being tracked by a site called W3Techs. W, it's W, the, the digit three, T-E-C-H-S dot com. They've been the one tracking the growth of content management systems and many other things over many years now. And they're an, a research analyst firm. They, they will sell you reports. They'll do all that kind of stuff. But they've been maintaining this for uh, for a long time that this this list of what's uh, what's going on for content management systems CMSs and those are things like WordPress and and Drupal and Joomla but also Shopify uh, even Wix Squarespace things like that you know systems that let you go and create websites so what Matt talked about was that WordPress had seen a tremendous growth adding four percent year over year going from thirty five percent to thirty nine percent. And that's very true, but actually what was more interesting to me was that for the first time, WordPress has passed the category that W3Text calls none. To back up and explain a little bit, what W3Text does is they go and they query the top 10 million websites out there, and they look at what are the markers that indicate that this site is using a CMS, and if so, which one. You know, with WordPress, there's certain header information that's being sent in HTTP that is easy enough to, to determine. You also can look at you know URLs and see our images being pulled from something with WP-content in the URL. It's very easy to go and determine that. Likewise, you can do that on other different sites in different ways. So they, they do this and they try to identify as many of those top 10 million websites as they can. And then if they can't, they put it all in a bucket called none, which could be other, you know, it could be custom CMSs. It could be just web servers that are just running, you know, some, you know, bespoke framework. It could be just a bunch of HTML pages that are on there. It could be some other proprietary systems that are not well known, or it could be custom developed, all of those different kinds of things. It could be a, a generic, you know, WordPress or something where somebody has gone to great lengths to hide the CMS just so that you, you, you are reducing the attack service if you can't tell an attacker what kind of system is there. You know, those kind of things. It could be all of that. But for the longest time, none out of like the, the, the sites that cannot be identified with a CMS are uh, has been the leading indicator. In fact, if you go back to, uh, to if I look at the usage stats last year in December, 
None was 43.2% and WordPress was 35%. I can go back several years in my own memory to where none was, you know, up around 60, 65, even higher percentage. And, and WordPress and others were, you know, substantially less. But this year, what they showed was that now, as of December 1, WordPress had 39.1% and none was actually 387 So for the first time in the time that W3Techs has been tracking this, the number of people using WordPress is now more than the sites that are not using any kind of CMS at all. That's a pretty amazing number to me to, to see the growth that's happened there. Now, Matt took a look at this and said, you know, why did WordPress grow? He offered three things, and, and I have a fourth, really. One, he said there's the lockdown. You know, just with everything there, people had the time, the space and time to connect online on blogs, to to work on their own blogs, to install, to create new websites, to go and, and do this. And, and so I think a lot of people did, you know, or I know in my own case, you know, it's some of those things you've been putting off, um, you know, you've been putting off your own work, for instance, on converting, updating your websites or converting them or doing other stuff like that. And so now with the time and that people have in lockdown, many people have gone and done that. Another point he mentioned out was e-commerce. He mentioned that in 2020, WooCommerce, which is a system used in WordPress for for e-commerce had over $20 billion in sales. You know, you look at this, which is twice the amount they'd had the previous year. Uh, caveat here, WooCommerce is a part of Automatic. It was purchased in 2015. So the company that behind WordPress, et cetera, also owns WooCommerce. But we've also seen that, right? Everybody is is selling things online. And if you're using a big platform like Amazon or Etsy or something like that, that's one way. But maybe you're also using some other way around this. The other point Matt pointed out for the growth was just this general economic uncertainty. People have become entrepreneurs to supplement or replace their income. And many people starting out have been using um, WordPress as a way to go and work with that. Now, I think all of that is true, but I think another part is the network effect, right? It's the ecosystem of people out there who support, develop, work with WordPress websites. You know, you're really at that point where you're not, you can use WordPress and if you need somebody to help you, you can find so many people out there because of this huge volume of sites that are using it. You know, you're not locked in as compared to, you know, if you go and do something with say, you know, Shopify or Wix or or a Squarespace or one of those, you, you know, those are systems that provide, you know, tremendous ways to get started and to get working with that, but but you're locked in. You you're you're in their system, in their places. Likewise, many people are using, you know, maybe trying to use custom frameworks, but some of those change, people aren't able to support with it, et cetera. But you know, with WordPress you have that that just huge ecosystem out there. It's really enormous. I, I should say too, if you look at that W3 text, the size of WordPress as compared to in market share, as compared to the other ones, is is fairly enormous. WordPress has thirty nine point four percent of all of the ten million websites. Okay, the next closest one, according to W three Techs, is interestingly Shopify, and it is at three point two percent. So think about thirty nine point four percent, three point two percent. It shows you the competition isn't even close in regard to that. 
Joomla is down at 2.2. Wix is next at 1.5. Then Drupal at 1.5. Squarespace at 1.4. And it goes on down from there. I remember just three years ago, back in um, early 2017, at the Internet Society, when we were looking at what uh, what CMS to use, you know, WordPress was was still leading, but Drupal actually was not too far behind. And and there's a story there around Drupal seven versus Drupal eight, I think, which caused a lot of change and pain there. But but you you saw it was much closer in that regard. It was actually I remember it was WordPress, Drupal, and Joomla were all in that space there. And I think WordPress might have had seventeen percent at that time or something. But it was it you know it's just amazing to see how this has changed in the space it's there. You know, Matt Mullenweg really talks about, you know, how WordPress is aiming to be an open source layer for publishing and e-commerce. The mission of WordPress has always been to democratize publishing. Although I noticed that now, Matt, of course, because they have WooCommerce, Matt also says democratize publishing and commerce. But democratize publishing. Make it really a layer just as so many people use things like Apache and Nginx as their open source you know, web servers, Matt's vision really is that ultimately WordPress would be an open source layer for publishing in that kind of space. Let's talk a bit about how that all works out. You know, One of the things they, they talked about, kind of the, I think the two big things I would take away from this, or one was they talked about online events and how they're intending to do so much more. And a big piece was they launched a new website called learn, L-E-A-R-N, dot wordpress.org, which is a site where they're intending to have all of the tutorials, the learning resource plans, so many different things that people can use to learn about WordPress, but also to be able to teach about WordPress. I thought it was interesting when you go to the site, one of the things you can find is that there are lesson plans. There are things that you could go and and bring with you to be able to go and teach about WordPress. And so it's really interesting. There's some workshops you can get some skills around and, uh, and lots of interesting stuff that you could go and work with it. So that's at learn.wordpress.org. Matt spent a good chunk of time talking about Gutenberg, which is the so the what we call the block editor now, but it's the editor there. And Matt has laid out for quite some time four phases. The, the first phase was just making editing easier of posts and pages, and that's where, where it's at right now, what it's in. The second phase, which is where the most recent releases have been, is working towards something called full site editing, or FSE, which is where everything is a block. So footers are a block, headers are a block, you know, uh, queries are a block, all sorts of stuff around that. And then the second phase or the third phase would be something more collaboration, thinking about something like a Google Docs kind of way of working where you could be able to go and work with this and interact with people in real-time editing. And then the fourth is a multilingual element and bringing that natively into the into WordPress. Let me back up and talk about the full site editing. The challenge that WordPress has, and, and Matt was very clear around this, was saying they're trying to walk a, a, a fine line, a, a very narrow thing between having simplicity and ease of use while also providing customization. And this is always, right, that it's the challenge between simplicity and complexity. You know, there's a parrot, there's a, a uh, what's it called, spectrum there. 
but it's always something like that. How do you make it simple and easy for somebody to get in and just write a post? That's all they want to do. But then you also want to potentially give them the customization while making sure that it generates good HTML, that it is fast and performs and everything else. How do you go and do all of that? So there was a lot of conversation around this and, and they showed a demo of the full site editing where you know everything's a block. And this is the idea is that right now when you're in WordPress, you have this idea that you have a theme, which is how you look how the site looks, what it does, all those kind of things. And then you also have plugins that provide additional functionality. With this full site editing, your theme would become a bunch of blocks. Now, immediately I, I was having thoughts of, oh no, I, I don't want people messing with the theme if, if we go and set this up. I don't necessarily want users doing it. So I, I certainly assume, I hope, but I assume that there will be a way that changes in your theme, whatever can be restricted to only certain users. I know certainly agencies will not want clients messing with their themes in different ways, but it'll be interesting to see because again, the goal is to go help make it easier for people to manipulate things. I will say for instance, right now with the number of the themes that we use, those pieces like that, if we do want to change something that's like in the footer or something, it requires somebody to go make the changes to the CSS files, make the changes to the the, the JavaScript making changes to the other uh, the PHP the different pieces like that and make all those changes and then you know upload it to the site do those kind of things it is a bit of a pain so being able to do that in full time will be very interesting we'll see where that all goes Matt walked through what the releases were 5.4 5.5 5.6 that came out this year I, I think the big story is just really the continued evolution of the block editor of Gutenberg making it uh, it faster, making it easier. There's something called block patterns, which came out in 5.5 in the middle of the year and then was reinforced again in 5.6, which is fascinating because it allows you to set up what, what you might want to insert onto a given page. So if you're creating pages that are quite similar, you can have you know sets of blocks that you frequently use. Like you might have say an image with a quote next to it or something you can just very easily go and put that pattern in and to be able to create it the newest version which just came out recently 5.6 has a good number of more block patterns also has auto updates some other different features there it also has a new theme called 2021 which i haven't yet played with but looking at it it looks like it's quite um it's quite useful it could be quite interesting and and We'll have to see how adaptable it is for people to go and make changes to, but it looks quite compelling for people to work with in different ways. Oftentimes, these default themes are great places to start on, to build off of, to go and create another a child theme, to be able to create something off there for for sites that don't demand a lot of customization. I mean, obviously, if you if you have a site that really you want to have your own branding and pieces and parts like that, your custom theme development is often a way to go. But for just simple things or personal websites, being able to modify these is a great way to get a site up very quickly and easily in, in regard to that. In the question and answers, there were two things that, I, that struck me, three things really that struck me interesting. One was just a whole talk about virtual events, you know, because the pandemic's not going away. Even as we get vaccinations, that's a good thing, but, but it will take a while. And so... It, the question that has 
I've been thinking about, talking about in different places is what will happen when we go back online or when we go back on, um, uh, when you go back to being able to meet in person, what will we take with us? I talked a bit about this back in episode 394, you know, when I said, you know, after the pandemic, will live streaming, you know, change our community organizations, churches, et cetera, things like that. And, and that's, I think, again, a question here for, for organizations. When you can go back to meeting in person, when you have a, uh, you know, when you can have WordCamp USA, when you can have WordCamp EU, when you can do things like this, how will you bring some of the benefits, particularly the accessibility, how will you bring them to the, the, the future versions? I think it is really interesting to look at how we can do that because we do need to look at ways to be inclusive in some of these ways as we, as we come on in different places. Matt talked a good bit about how, you know, with online events, how do we make them, you know, having a richer online experience? How do we make sure that we're more inclusive in different ways? You know, everything is being online. So how do we make our events, our learning, mentoring, all of those things there in some way? The other piece, the other two pieces were page builders. You know, people ask these questions because for the longest time before the Gutenberg block editor came out in late 2018 as part of WordPress 5.0, you had, and you still have, so-called page builders, things like Divi, Elementor, Beaver Builder, even things like Advanced Custom Fields, other pieces that are being used to create pages in different ways. And Gutenberg has actually reduced the need for many of those. Not all. There's still many things that a page builder can do in different forms, but the block editor is good enough for many pieces. So how do you, you know, what's the role? How does it work? What's the pieces that are there? It's still an open question because I think the reality is Gutenberg is aiming to be that uh, that block editor for that's good enough for most people. There were questions around performance and you know how will it work as Gutenberg starts to get more features? Will it wind up being as you know will it have performance issues as some of the page builders, not all, some uh, do have? And they talked about how really. You know, WordPress is focused. The, the developer team is really focused on performance, on helping make it so that it it is as fast as possible. Which kind of brought to the last part, which was I'll mention, which was multilingual, because multiple people ask that question. There are plugins. There's things. I mean, we use WPML, WordPress multilingual, which is a a large plugin that does that helps you do multilingual, you know, sites. There's other ones, Polylang. There's, there's so many different other sites that are trying to do this in different ways, but it's still a challenge. There's things that, uh, that, that they, can, they aren't fully there. So the goal of the phase four of Gutenberg is to have multilingual capabilities built into the native code. Now, Matt and others mentioned that it, that's probably out in 2022 when it begins in some way. And he had a good point. He said, you know, we have to get phase one and phase two to be the best possible. We have to do it. We can only do things you know, so well. Can't do too many things at once. He said, we have to get phase one and phase two. So the page and post editing and the full site editing, we have to nail that because if we fail, then WordPress won't be relevant 10 years from now. And I think he's right because there's a lot of, 
you know, commentary that as right now from people who have issues with Gutenberg, uh, people have concerns around that. If, if they don't get it right, then, then it could be something where more people move and that percentage that we see will change and somebody else will start to challenge that and there'll be less WordPress sites. So they do need to nail that. If I could have asked a question, I didn't have time to do it before that, I would have asked something about multilingual. So I was glad to see some pieces are in there. I look forward to having more of that baked natively into the code that was there. You can go and watch the, the state of the word. You can see some of the other answers and questions. There were some interesting things. There were people talking about you know, headless WordPress, although Matt calls it decoupled architecture. Uh, some pieces around what else could you go and do to be able to have the, the editing interface separate from the actual serving of the code, et cetera. There was a comment around WordCamps not being more for developers and less for content creators and a call to organizers to say, can you create more tracks for users and content creators, people use, using WordPress rather than developing for it, which is all really good. Performance was there, uh, emerging technologies. Matt is very interested in WebRTC, which is something I've followed for many years through my disruptive telephony and other sites. But, you know, it's browsers connecting to each other to provide collaboration and pieces like that. And also he pointed out to native apps and, and pieces like that. Also asked the question of where do you see WordPress in the next 17 years? And, you know, he laughed around that in that case. But, you know, again, his vision is to have the, in his case, he said, the vast majority of websites on open source solutions, not necessarily WordPress, but on open source solutions. Matt has been very clear. I mean, certainly he'd love WordPress to be there, but he wants to see the layer, the publishing layer on open source. Also, there's an interest in, in seeing Gutenberg used across multiple different open source solutions. This is something we saw earlier when the folks, I, I haven't followed up on this, but I know the folks at Drupal at one point were looking, could Gutenberg be used inside of Drupal? So you wind up with kind of a common block editor being used across different CMSs and systems like that. I don't know where that's gone. I don't know where it's happening, but it's certainly part of the overall vision for providing a better editing experience. Matt had a great quote, and he said, you know, humanity moves forward when we collaborate, not compete. You could argue about that perhaps, but I agree in the sense that we do need to look at how do we collaborate? How do we work together? How do we do all that? Again, I'll put a link in the show notes. You can you can go and watch the state of the word. I think it, it could be quite interesting to see some of the, the demos, some of the things that are there, some of the stuff that people are doing. And, um, and it, was, uh, it was quite interesting. You know, I think it, uh, there's a fun quote in there. When online is your only option, WordPress is your best option for publishing, of course, one could say. But I I'm, continue to be a big fan. I think there's a lot that's happening in WordPress, a lot of amazing things that are there. And it's such a strong and powerful ecosystem that the beauty part is that you're not locked in. You can go and find people to work with it, and you can go and do stuff with that. I'd love to hear your comments. You know, what do you think about some of these things? What's your thoughts around uh, WordPress? All of those things. Uh, you can leave them at uh, where I post this on soundcloud.com slash danyork, or you can tweet at me at danyork on Twitter, or any of the different places that uh, you find this out there. You can find more of my audio and writing at danyork.me, and... Uh, I would love to hear what you have to say. What do you think about WordPress in 2020 and what, where do you see it going over the next while? 
Again, that's it for me. Thanks for listening and bye for now.